Welcome, everyone, to Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I'll be your host for the next hour here on WFMU Freeform Station of the Nation in downtown Jersey City on Halloween evening. Thank you for joining me. I've got a very special show for you this evening. It's called Nightmares from Silicon Valley. And I have a very particular goal for this evening's show. And that is to give you an evergreen show that you can pull out any time you want to be terrified. Because this show is going to feature all completely true stories from the tech industry whose malfeasance never sleeps not on Halloween and not on any other day of the year. If you're accepting trick-or-treaters this evening you don't have to put up decorations just play this show. Welcome to Tectonic. we're going to be doing this evening is we're going to be going through a number, as I said, a number of tech stories. And um, I'm going to have this going on in the background. This may not be audible the whole time, but I've got a, um, I've got an old, you may, you may remember this, this is an old 1964 album called Disney Haunted House Sound Effect Record, and I grew up listening to this every Halloween. Uh, I've taken out the vocals. There's a, there's a narrator who keeps bumping in, but um, whenever we need a little uh, breather from these stories, I'm going to put this on. So that's the deal with this. Why don't we start with our first story? By the way, if if you want to follow along on some of the news that I'm talking about the stories I've got. They're all on the playlist at WFMU.org. Click playlist and comments. You can join in the live listener chat. Very spooky chat this evening. And if you're listening in the future, as I said before, this is meant to be an evergreen show. This is not just for Halloween. This is meant to demonstrate what the tech industry is up to every day of the year, not just Halloween. And so... Stay with me. If you're listening in the future and it's, it's past Halloween, stay with me because you're going to hear some interesting stuff. Okay, first story. This is, um, this is a story from the airline industry. Uh, this comes from, or I, I heard about this from uh, blogger Andy Bayo in Port Portland, Oregon. And uh, he wrote a story on September 23rd with the 
with the uh, title, A Mysterious Voice is Haunting American Airlines In-Flight Announcements, and Nobody Knows Why. And so this is essentially a ghost story that takes place on a plane. And as you'll hear, it's not just one plane. What happened was, what, what I think clued Andy into this, and he posted it on his blog at waxy.org, and that's how I found out about it. There's a guy named Emerson Collins who posted a video onto social media. He was on a flight around, I guess, around September 22nd when he posted the video. He's on this flight from Denver to Los Angeles, and something, someone or something keeps coming over the PA system, the public announcement system that goes throughout the plane. You know, usually it's the flight attendants or it's the pilot that has something to say. But this time it was different. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you the audio, uh, slightly edited down for length, from Emerson Collins's social media post so you can hear this. Let me take the, the, uh, the Disney footage down here. Okay, so that's off. Now, what you're going to hear is footage from this American Airlines plane. And it, <laughs> this is for real. And by the end of the plane, when they finally landed, still no one knew what was happening. And so why don't we go ahead and, and, and listen to, to this. This is the American Airlines flight. Uh, let me bring this up here, and you're going to hear a real-life ghost story or something from this flight. Here it is. And that was the American Airlines flight, I think, on or around September 22nd from Denver to uh, Los Angeles. And as you heard, there is some, some sort of sound making going on, some, some grunts and, and cries, maybe, maybe in pain. Maybe it was a prank. But the thing is, the thing is, the flight attendants and the pilot and when they landed the the maintenance crew all tried to figure out what was happening and 
no one could figure out where the sound was coming from. Where it gets even creepier is Andy did some research. He's really good at that, doing research online, and he found that this was not the first time this had happened. In fact, there were reports of disembodied voices over the PA system on American Airlines flights all the way back to July, so several weeks before. In fact, he's, he's got some information here. American Airlines <clears throat> flight from JFK to LAX. Gentleman named Brad Allen wrote, my wife and I experienced the same thing during an AA flight in July. To be clear, it was just sounds like the moans and groans of someone in extreme pain. The crew on the flight said that it had happened before and they had no explanation. It occurred briefly three or four times early in the flight and then it stopped. And there were additional details apparently in the Los Angeles Times. What we have here, friends, is a disembodied voice that is taking over the PA system of multiple American Airlines flights. And despite the best attempts of the technology experts on and off the plane, no one can find the cause. And here's why that's relevant and why I chose this as the first story. Because the haunted plane story is a perfect metaphor for the world we're living in right now. We're all on that plane together. You see, technology is doing weird things and we can't seem to find a fix. We're stuck on a plane where the technology is doing creepy, even malicious things to all of us. And none of the experts can seem to find exactly what to do about it. Now, sometimes, sometimes there are clear causes for these nightmares. And some of us citizens are willing participants in creating that nightmare. <laughs> Thank you, sir. The next story comes from the Washington Post. This is a roundup of Amazon's spy devices for the home. This was written by Jeff Fowler in the Washington Post on October 12. There's a link to it on the playlist at WFMU.org. And if, if you think this is not a nightmare, <clears throat> if, I, if, if when you hear Amazon's spy device, you go, oh, gosh, he's complaining about Alexa again. You don't know the extent of it, friend. You don't know the extent of what Amazon has in store for all of us. And in fact, is already delivering to homes all over the country. And so I'm, I'm happy that Jeffrey Fowler wrote this piece. You should read the whole thing. Again, it's linked from the playlist. But let me just say, uh, there's a lot more surveillance coming out of Amazon that's intended for your home and your neighbor's homes uh, than you realize. Here's what Jeffrey Fowler wrote on October 12th. Quote, you may not realize all the ways Amazon is watching you. No other big tech company <clears throat> reaches deeper into domestic life. Amazon now makes or has acquired more than two dozen types of domestic devices and services made for the garage, uh, excuse me, from the garage to the bathroom. 
Fowler continues, it's a surveillance nightmare. You see the word there? Many, but uh, many of Amazon's products contribute to its detailed profile of you, helping it to know you better than you know yourself. And then he goes into an overview of each device, device by device, of what Amazon has put together for the spied-upon home. Let me go ahead and list these devices that Fowler included in the story. The Echo Speaker, the Ring Doorbell, the Fire TV, the Omni TV Set, the Kindle, the Fire Tablet, the Smart Lights, Smart Switches, Smart Shades, all integrated with Alexa, the Halo Band, the Echo Show, the Echo Auto, the garage door with Alexa or Amazon key integration, the Eero Wi-Fi router, the Roomba surveillance vacuum cleaner, the toilet <laughs> with Alexa integration. It, really, there's a toilet with Alexa integration, the surveillance toilet, the ring camera and spotlight. That's right. The ring security system, the echo frames, the Ring Always Home Cam Drone, the Halo Rise, the Smart Soap Dispenser, Amazon Pharmacy and One Medical Membership, Dash Smart Shelf, Whole Foods, Smart Air Quality Monitor, the Basics Microwave, the Smart Thermostat, and the Astro Robot. And those are the more than two dozen surveillance devices that Amazon has created just for use in your home. And again, you can read the story on the playlist at WFMU.org. This, this guy named Aram Zucker Sharf <clears throat> had a comment on social media about it. He wrote, never forget that if the trajectory of all internet touching companies is to become ad systems, then the truth is all companies are just masquerading as one thing until they reveal that they're surveillance companies. And Amazon is leading the way. Now, a past guest on the show, Dr. Chris Gilliard, who's coined the term luxury surveillance, has started writing for The Atlantic. Nice to see. And in his first piece for The Atlantic on October 18, he wrote about things like Alexa-enabled spy devices. Gilliard wrote, they're best understood as mechanisms of control. They gather data which are then used to affect behavior. Stripped of their gloss, these devices are similar to the ankle monitors and surveillance apps that are forced on people on parole or immigrants awaiting hearings. And American citizens are willingly buying and installing these spy devices in their homes. It's a surveillance nightmare.
Why don't we move on to a third nightmare? Now, I've covered surveillance on a number of past shows, even recently, and I've talked, and I won't go over that material again, but on one of the shows when I talked about one of the recent surveillance offenses from the big tech companies, I got an email from a longtime listener to the show. And this listener wrote the following, and, and I have this listener's permission to, to, to read this to you. Here's what the listener wrote. And this, by the way, this is about surveillance in schools. The listener writes, quote, My daughter's school now requires all kids to get their fingerprints taken digitally in order to receive school lunch. The listener continues, If not for your show over the last few years, I'm not sure I would have been aware to look out for this stuff. And I'm not sure I would have had the courage to confront the administration about it. Because of the information I got from your show, I spoke with a school and we were able to opt out of the fingerprinting. The school said, no one has ever requested this before. But in the end, they were amenable to our request. Unfortunately, they have not made the opt-out option known to the rest of the parents or students. It is completely up to the families to figure out all of this on their own to get special carve-outs, unquote. And what that means, friends, is there's now a culture of surveillance that's spreading into the schools as far as requiring kids to submit fingerprints in order to be served school lunch. It's a surveillance nightmare. Let's go to the next story, shall we? This has to do with hospitals and healthcare. Now it turns out, it's not just education where these nightmares are spreading. It's healthcare as well. And over the last several months, there's an online publication called The Markup uh, president of which uh, is, uh, is a past guest here on Tectonic, Nabi Hasayed, from uh, March of last year. And uh, the markup has been doing research into Facebook's collection of data on patients at many American hospitals. And from October 20... The story in the markup was, Senator questions Zuckerberg about Facebook's collection of, quote, sensitive health information. And this is Senator Warner from Virginia, quote, I'm troubled by the recent revelation that the MetaPixel was installed on a number of hospital websites including password-protected patient portals and sending sensitive health information to Meta, that is Facebook, when a patient scheduled an appointment online. This is Senator Warner's letter 
to Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, citing a markup investigation that revealed at least 33 top hospitals and seven health systems were sharing patient information through the meta pixels embedded on their websites. Senator Warner also cited another markup investigation that found the Metapixel collecting sensitive data from forms on the federal student aid website. There goes education again with surveillance. Continuing with the markup, in an email to the markup, Warner said, Meta's collection of user data without their knowledge or consent is wrong and begs the question, I'd say raises the question, but okay, what is Meta doing with the information that they are collecting? Once again, friends, surveillance nightmare. Now, of course, if and when we ever hear from Facebook Meta about this problem, they'll say, well, we're not collecting data. We're, we simply put a pixel on these patient portals just for uh, analytics. Yeah, it's totally neutral. We're not interested in people's private information. We don't sell it anyway, all of which is bogus. Facebook, just like Google, with the UK's National Health Service is eager to get its hands on all of your and my and our health information because the more data they have on us, the more they can pack it into our dossiers, which gives them more power over us to manipulate our behavior in years to come. And that's why someone like Senator Mark Warner is doing the right thing by putting the pressure on Zuckerberg to fess up to what he's doing. It's unethical, it's wrong, and I hope they'll find that it's illegal. <laughs> it's a surveillance nightmare. Let's move on to story number five, shall we? This is uh, this is a longer story that has to do with Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter and how it may or may not be uh, against Jack Dorsey's wishes. Jack Dorsey, of course, being the former CEO and co-founder of Twitter. Musk now owns Twitter and is starting to, let's say, uh, put his fingerprints all over the service and its moderation or lack thereof. We're going to see, uh, it's going to be a wild ride. Uh, I, I mean, I personally am not logging into Twitter these days, but just from afar, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I don't think there's um, a positive outcome in store, not with Elon Musk doing what he's doing. But there's an interesting piece and I want to thank listener Ike for sending this over to me. There's an interesting piece by a guy named Dave Troy, who's an investigative uh, journalist. Uh, I think he's based in Baltimore, writes a bunch. This is from just two days ago, October 29. And it's a piece called, No, Elon and Jack are not, quote, competitors. They're collaborating. And in, in this piece, Dave Troy goes over uh, a bunch of what he calls 
does he call them myths? He presents them as myths. Like, here's what a bunch of people are saying about the Twitter acquisition. Here's what's actually going on. And essentially what Dave Troy is saying is that Elon Musk is uh, not going to really he, – he's not going to get his comeuppance with Twitter. Yeah, he may lose some money on the deal because he overpaid. What was it? Uh, 44 $52 billion? He's, he's going to lose some, he overpaid, so he's going to lose some money, but that's not the point. What Dave Troy is arguing is that Elon Musk is attempting to bolt together a power base so that he serves as a central power broker on the international stage. Not long ago, Elon Musk went to Twitter, of course, always to Twitter, and he announced, and these are not the exact words, but it was essentially... I would like to announce that I, Elon Musk, have the solution for China and Taiwan. As you know, listeners, China would would desperately like to take over Taiwan. Uh, I've talked about this on past shows. I count Taiwan as uh, as its own nation, its own country, and that uh, is is verboten in China to say such a thing. China would like to take over the country of Taiwan, call it its own and uh, have its way with the, the culture and society and politics, much like it did in Hong Kong when it brutally repe- repressed a pro-democracy movement. I mean, brutally repressed a few years ago. They would like to do the, China would like to do the same thing in Taiwan. Uh, and I say China, I don't mean the entire country. I mean the Chinese Communist Party that for now has control of China. Well, anyway, Elon Musk said, I would like to announce that I, Elon Musk, have a solution what China should do is simply set up a special economic zone in Taiwan, much like it did in Hong Kong, except uh, be a little less harsh than it was in Hong Kong, and then everything will be fine. Peace in Taiwan. China will be happy. And that drew a response from a propaganda account on Twitter, of course, always Twitter, from the Chinese Communist Party itself, which said, essentially, thank you, Mr. Musk, for showing the way to peace in Taiwan. So essentially, Musk is uh, playing into the, the goals and the dreams of the Chinese Communist Party, much the same way that Musk has posted some very strange things on Twitter, always on Twitter, that seem to be pro-Vladimir Putin, in which Musk says, I, Elon Musk, am going to announce what should happen with Russia and Ukraine. They should do this, they should do that, they should have talks, they should divide this and that, and there, we're done. And I'm not going to get into the details. My point is that Musk seems to be interested in reaching out to the Russian regime, the Putin regime, and the Chinese Communist Party, the Xi Jinping regime, and establishing himself as a power broker in the middle. And uh, both of those... uh, organizations, I'll call them that, would love to see the breakdown and the eventual destruction of American democracy, of Western democracy in general. And Elon Musk would love to help them in their goals. So you may, th- you may think, what is it with Elon Musk, who is, is so flippant, so ready to play fast and loose with the democratic traditions, the democratic structure 
of America, Europe, Australia, other com- uh, countries? And doesn't he have, doesn't he value uh, what we have already, this precious and fragile thing called democracy, flawed as it is, I know, uh, but, it, but we're, we're not yet living in a full authoritarian state, which we should be grateful and we should be uh, fighting to, to keep it that way and even improve and increase our democracy. Why does Musk seem so ready to use Twitter, which he has just bought at a, at a, at a great loss, in order to uh, promote the, the agenda, apparently promote the agenda of adversaries of Western democracies like the U.S.? Well, this gets to a larger question that Dave Troy then opens up, and this is where I'm really headed, because Elon Musk, you have to understand, if you want to understand why people do things, you have to understand their value system, their underlying value system, and what they're actually after in the long run. If you can understand those underlying, that underlying structure, then it's, the, the, the cards fall right into place. You can understand why people make the decisions minute to minute they do. And what I'm going to tell you, friends, is totally true. It's documented in at least one book that, that I'll mention. And you're going to, when I tell you what Elon Musk is part of, you're going to say, some of you are going to say, that I don't believe. It's literally going to be unbelievable. And I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you the sources and you can look it up for yourself. I'm going to tell you that this indeed is one of the greatest surveillance nightmares that you can possibly imagine. And I'm just about to tell you what it is. But first, if you're just tuning in, I want to tell you that you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. I'm your host. This show is called Nightmares from Silicon Valley. And uh, this is an evergreen show, not just for Halloween. You can play this next Halloween outside your house. It's terrifying enough. Or you can listen to it any other day of the year because... We're talking about exactly what Silicon Valley has in store for us. Okay, back to Elon Musk, huh? So I'm reading this piece by Dave Troy. And uh, Dave Troy is talking, again, he's talking about Elon Musk. And he's doing a Q&A format. And so the, the question that Dave Troy is going to answer is the following. What does Jack Dorsey mean when he says, I trust Elon Musk's mission to extend the light of consciousness? Have you heard this? Musk says this sometimes. I want to extend the light of consciousness. What does that mean? This is a key phrase that you need to understand if you want to really grasp the surveillance nightmare that we're entering into and what Musk's aims are. Dave Troy writes this answer. I'm going to read it to you and then I'm going to explain what this all means. Dave Troy writes, actually, I'm not going to read it. Maybe I'll read it at the end. Let me tell you first. 
this, this light of consciousness thing. So in addition to playing friendly with the Chinese Communist Party and making friendly overtures to Vladimir Putin, and I should have mentioned being very happy to open a Tesla showroom in Urumqi, the uh, capital of the Xinjiang province, where the Chinese Communist Party, and I've done multiple shows on this, has an estimated million-plus people, mostly Uyghurs, uh, in concentration camps, in political re-education camps, and forced labor, basically enslaved labor camps. Uh, go back in the archives at tectonic.fm. Search on China. Just search the word China in tectonic.fm archives, and you'll see those stories. Anyway, Musk is happy to have a Tesla showroom in Xinjiang, and when people speak out about it, it uh, makes about as much difference as, as any other comment to him does. So, <clears throat> in addition to all that, Musk makes these strange comments about extending the light of consciousness. And usually it's in context of him talking about uh, going to Mars and, you know, saving humanity, getting us off of this planet. And um, here's what the light of consciousness means. There's this idea, this trend called long-termism long-termism. Now, I don't mean long-term thinking, like we need, to, we need to plan for tomorrow, we need to plan for next year, we need to plan for five years from now. I don't mean long-term thinking. There's a particular uh, word, a phrase, not phrase, a particular term, long-termism, that means something specific. And it doesn't mean how you might use it in normal speech. Long-termism is a trend that is coming out of um, a number of quarters. Part of it's coming out of Nick Bostrom at Oxford University, uh, but it's largely funded by the tech bros, who have, while the rest of us have, have lagged in our earning power, the tech bros, this, this tiny, vanishingly small uh, percentage of ultra-wealthy, ultra-powerful dudes in Silicon Valley have sucked up all the money, either through uh, startups uh, with with um, sky-high valuations like Tesla or through uh, well-timed bets in the cryptocurrency market. A lot of guys made a lot of money, and now they're trying to figure out what to do with it. So long-termism basically says, how should we deploy our capital? We've, we've, we've got more money than we know what to do with. We basically own the world. We're the most uh, rich and powerful uh, a s small slice of humanity for many generations. How should we change the world uh, in the interest? Well, not in our not in our personal interest, of course, never. Uh, how do we change the world in the interest of everyone else? And some people would say, well, <coughs> you have great wealth, great power, great influence. How about looking around at the sizable percentage of humanity on this planet that is impoverished? that goes hungry every day, that lacks education, health care, clean water, basic sanitation, good transportation, roads, and so on, the basics. How do we, to, to, not to put too fine a point on it, but how do we uh, feed the hungry, heal the sick, clothe the naked, comfort the afflicted, and so on? How do we do those? And the long-termists say, well, they say, 
we look at this rationally. We're very rational, you know, because in Silicon Valley, everything's a number and we're rational. That's why we're so rich, because we're rational. We're the smartest people in the world and we're, we're definitely smarter than you talking about hungry people and sick people. What we have to do is look at this rationally and we have to assign to each human being a certain quantitative value, a value meaning if your life is really good, you have a high value life. And if your life is really bad, uh, you're, you're hungry or sick, you have a low value. And, and what we should do, if all we were doing is looking at those impoverished people, we should deploy our capital to raise the value of life for those oppressed, hungry, and sick people, those impoverished people. So far, so good. However, we are so smart we are so incredibly smart in Silicon Valley that we don't only look at the situation today on Earth. We want to look to the stars. Not what's happening today, not even tomorrow, not even what's happening in 10 years. We want to look in the far future when humanity first makes it to Mars and then from Mars springboards out to the rest of the galaxy and there are trillions of human beings on thousands of planets all over the galaxy not just trillions, trillions of trillions of humans. Now, if you look at trillions of trillions of humans and you compare that with the value of one or two billion starving humans today, what is the more rigorous rational analysis going to point you to? You have to help the people in the future. There are exponentially more of them in the future all across the galaxy, not the, the pathetic race that we have today that's just stuck on one planet. And so you understand if you want to be rational about it and you're a long-termist, you don't deploy your massive wealth and power to help people today who are hungry or impoverished or sick or whatever. You have to deploy your capital in order to build that shining future when we can have trillions of humans in a shining future all over the galaxy. That is the value that we should all be investing in today. That is the shining future. That is the utopia that only is possible if we, if we, the elite, the smartest, te technocrats, tech bros, the inventors, the disruptors will, will just concentrate their wealth on building better computers today to get us off of this benighted planet and into our utopia that awaits for trillions of us. And so the long-termists, when they make this insane kind of calculation, they're deciding, and Elon Musk is part of this group the richest man in the world is part of this group and is starting to buy into the idea, or maybe he's already fully bought in, that we should not help the poor, the hungry, the sick, or the afflicted today, but instead we should invest in startups so we can get off of this rock and get to Mars and then build a planet-sized computer that can host all of us in a virtual reality utopia. It's a nightmare, friends. And it's for real. Now, I haven't told you the best part. 
and I'm saying that facetiously, this is the worst part. Because in the far future, the long-termists say it's not enough to put trillions of humans on, on thousands of planets all over the galaxy. Because someday, some beautiful shining day in the future, we are going to have sufficiently advanced technology such that we can upload our very consciousness into a computer, into a cloud somewhere, an ethereal cloud that, that acts as, as a planet-sized virtual reality simulation where you will have no more body. It's the transhumanist future. It's coming. You can upload yourself into the cloud that's going to be, that's going to be planet scope sized. And you can guess which planet it's going to be, friends, that VR utopia is going to be in Uranus. And they say, we're going to have trillions upon trillions upon trillions of little virtual reality consciousnesses disembodied floating around in a planet-sized computer. And all of those consciousnesses are going to need their value of life too. So with all the humans and with all of the virtual humans that are, that are floating around in Uranus, they say, the long-termists, how can we possibly spare a dime to take care of impoverished people today on Earth? It's a nightmare. Now, some of you are saying, Nope, I don't believe it. That can't possibly be true. Some sort of a conspiracy that Hearst is, has spun out for us on Halloween evening to make us scared. Because if that was true, that would be too terrifying that the world's richest man and the slice of the most rich, powerful, and influential people in the world right now are banding together to create that insane dystopia at the expense of suffering human beings on Earth today. Now I'm going to read you Dave Troy's answer. Question. What does Jack Dorsey mean, quote, I trust Elon Musk's mission to extend the light of consciousness? Dave Troy writes the answer. This is a reference to long-termism, the heavily marketed philosophy being promoted by Elon Musk and his friend, William McCaskill, that asserts the only thing that matters is humanity's future in space. And the only goal of the living is to maximize the number of future humans alive as well as the number of artificial intelligence instances that could possibly exist in the future. This mandate is most often used to brush aside calls for improving conditions and alleviating suffering among the living here on Earth now. Because, the theory goes, giving a poor person a blanket isn't likely to be as useful for the future of humanity 
as building a rocket to Mars. Long-termism is heavily influenced by Russian cosmism and is also directly adjacent to effective altruism. Musk's stated mission, which he intends to fulfill in his lifetime, is to, quote, make humanity a multi-planetary species. The anti-democratic urge in long-termism is rooted in the belief that mob rule will lead to nuclear annihilation. We should, Musk thinks, be guided by, quote, wiser minds like his. Now, friends, if you want to read up on this, go look up William McCaskill. That's William, like you think it's spelled, M-C-A-S-K-I-L-L. He's got a new book out, heavily, heavily marketed, apparently bankrolled by TechBro Funds. There's a lot of Silicon Valley and crypto money behind this idea, this self-aggrandizing idea that only the tech bros can show us the way forward and they should be excused from helping anyone else. They should be able to use this insane, perverted rationalism in order to deploy the funds that they've captured, not to people who need it in this country and around the world, but to their own self-aggrandizing projects that will fail. You understand this will fail. We're not taking humanity to Mars. Do you have any idea the complexity of that task? And even if we could, why would we do that instead of helping the people here on Earth who need the help? Why do I even have to say this? The smartest guys in the world, please. I'm going to tell you one more scary story. This is the scariest story of all. This is the story of what happens to WFMU if we don't get fully funded in this October fundraiser. As many of you know, we have been putting together this October fundraiser, the Hellraiser, for a whole month, and this being Halloween, the 31st. This is our last chance, my last chance, to make an on-air pitch to you, a brief pitch, but it fits right into this show this evening. Surveillance nightmares in Silicon Valley are running amok in this country and in this world. 
Like those dogs. It's running uncontrolled, it's running unchecked because there are forces much bigger than this radio station, as we just heard, that are bankrolling, insane, anti-democratic, and in some cases, outright evil plans for the future of humanity. And standing against that, I'm not going to argue that WFMU is alone in this. There are many good organizations out there. But this is the one I've thrown my lot in with. WFMU is standing against the tide of rapacious, predatory surveillance capitalism that's coming out of Silicon Valley. The sucking up of all of the wealth and power in this country into the hands of a very small number of tech bros. Allowing them to spin out their demented dreams of ego gratification, brain uploading, and VR. It's ridiculous. Anyway, WFMU is standing against that and saying, no, we're going to have a radio station that is not a public company. It's not ruled by the profit motive. And uh, in fact, we're just scraping by. This station runs on love, dedication, and commitment by everybody who's here. You can hear it. If you listen to other shows, you can hear it. When the DJs come on, you can hear it in their voice. These are people who believe in the station. And if you're on the comment board, you can read it in the comments of your fellow listeners. This is not like what you get from Silicon Valley. This is a real community, and it's trying to do things the right way. It's a rare organization. Again, not the only one, but it's a rare organization that really tries year after year after year to fulfill its mission and not compromise. And that's why I'm still here after five years. And we rely on your donations to stay on the air. For a lot of reasons that are out of everyone's control, a lot of people were unable to pitch in this October. And as I said last week, if, if you're unable to pitch in, uh, that's fine by me, and I just thank you for listening. But there's a bunch of people out there who can pitch in 10 bucks, 50 bucks. There's some people with a, a few extra clams could put, put in 100 bucks to show their support of this station. If you do it now, Tectonic will get credit, but you can do it anytime and you can either click Tectonic to get credit or, or not, click some other show. I, I, that's not what's important to me. What's important is that you give to the station because we're, 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 we're coming in low on this October fundraiser. So this is my last pitch, friends. These are the last couple of minutes of the show before I put on the, <coughs> the secret <laughs> closing track. And I would just ask, please, if you like this show, or even if you are not sure if you like the show, but you like the station and you support what we're trying to do here, please go to WFMU.org. Find the, the pledge button. It's got a dog and a cow on it. You can't miss it. Just click on it and put in. 10 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. If you want to know the, the best way to support the station, put in 10 bucks monthly. Sign up for our monthly uh, donation plan. It's called Swag for Life. You get a t-shirt, some 
bumper sticker and all kinds of stuff. It's all, it's all on the webpage. But the, the important thing is I could really use, not me, I, could, I would really like to see more donations that the station could really use. I'm a volunteer here. I don't get any money for this. I'm putting in my time and energy every week to bring you this show because I believe in what I'm saying. I believe it's important, and I'm grateful to, to be a part of WFMU, to have a platform that, that really no other station would give me this platform. Uh, and uh, not only that, but whatever you think of Tectonic, in five minutes you're going to be hearing from Dave Mandel. You've got Dave Mandel at WFMU. What a treasure. So please, go to WFMU.org. Uh, click the, the, the pledge widget and, and chip, in some, chip in some clams if you can. If, if, you, if you haven't been able to this October, uh, but, but you, still have, you still have some extra dollars, now's the time to do it. Thank you in advance, and thanks everyone who already pledged and put in some nice notes. I really appreciate all the support I've gotten this month. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I want to remind you, everybody, that you are listening to the greatest radio station in the world and in the galaxy. When the bros make it out to Mars, we're still going to beam WFMU at them, and they're going to be forced to listen to this. But, of course, they're not going to make it because it's too hard. Sorry, Musk. Work on helping people who are suffering today. Anyway, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. Until next time, friends, you know exactly what I want you to do. I want you to avoid Amazon and Apple. Forget Facebook. And whatever you do, get off Google. And you know, I was trying to think what to, uh, what to put in for the final outro. <coughs> and I thought, why not? Why not do something a little different? <laughs> and let's hear let's hear that haunted plane a little more and then when we fade out from the haunted plane you're going to hear from Dave Mandel and it's complicated we're going to hear some prog rock friends on Halloween Halloween prog rock what does Dave Mandel have for us please stay tuned friends and I'll see you next week
38 seconds, not much time to get ready. Good evening, folks. My name is Dave. The show is It's Complicated. I'm here every Monday evening from 7 to 8, and I'm thrilled to be here again tonight. Thanks for joining me. Happy Halloween. I do not have any sort of Halloween special, I'll tell you now, uh, prepared. Um, I figure <laughs> music, the music is scary enough. We'll just leave it at that, not make things any worse. But I'm going to be playing the usual hour of Prague and Prague adjacent music. And I was thinking, I, w I want to play, you know, my inclination is to play music that's less, less well known, less often heard, and so on. But, uh, you know, I need to play some of the some of the core Prague material, I think. So I'm going to play a little bit of that right now. Uh, I'm going to play a track from Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Emerson, Emerson Lake, and Palmer were, uh, you know, like it or not, like them or not, the among the founding fathers of Prague rock, progressive rock. And 
what I would like to play, what I would love to play and will play at some point, but not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wait till I've been here at least a few more weeks, uh, is, is Tarkas, side one of Tarkas. I, I consider their, um, their masterpiece. Other than that, you know, this stuff's a little uneven. But I'm going to play a track from their first album, Emerson, Lincoln Palmer's first album. And this, again, I consider kind of sort of a foundation of prog rock. And one thing, well, I can say a lot of things about it. I'll say just a couple things very briefly and, and go to the music. One thing that's interesting about this is when people talk about prog rock, uh, one, of the, one of the first things they talk about or giggle about is, is synthesizers, all the synthesizers. And em Emerson, Lincoln Palmer especially, right, because Keith Emerson played this, you know, this massive, like, wall-sized modular Moog synthesizer. However, in the... The early days of prog rock, uh, I would say that the music was more more organ-based than, than synthesizer-based. If you listen to early Emerson, Lincoln Palmer, and a lot of the music that was inspired by it, it's very organ-dominated. So I want to play this, this track, which, is, which fits into that category, and then I'll play a few other related things that hopefully will not be as familiar, Ho hopefully will be newer to you. Maybe this is new to you, who knows. But we're going to hear a track again from the first Emerson, Lincoln Palmer LP. And following that, I think I'm going to be playing a couple of Italian prog pieces. And uh, a lot of the Italian groups, and it's, they're an acquired taste. <laughs> For a while, I, like, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't go near Italian prog rock. Uh, it's, it's, it's bombastic. It's just over the top. But I kind of acquired the taste. And also I'm hoping to play the stuff that's a little less uh, annoying, <laughs> you might say. So I'm going to play a couple of Italian pieces after this. But first I'm going to play this piece from early ELP. Just a step, cried the sad man Take a look down at the madman Theater kings on Silver wings fly beyond reason From the flight of the seagull Come the spread claws of the eagle Only fear breaks the silence As we all kneel, pray for guidance Feed the furnace If they take us They will burn us 